I mean it. I, I have this fear of enclosed spaces. I think everything must go back to the fact that I had a very anxious childhood. I, I, I feel physically inadequate. I gave it a lot of thought. The truth is, this therapy is a jerk-off. You know it, and I know it. Well, uh, I, I guess uh, deep down I'm, I'm feeling a little confused. But the thing is, I mean, since our discussion's here, I feel I have a right to my own feelings. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. I'm prone to depression. A certain bleak attitude about the world. But I know I can handle it. You're listening to Mental Wealth a podcast about people's mental health experiences and the tools of recovery. Hi everyone, welcome to Mental Wealth with me, Simon Tierney. This show is not intended to be a substitute for professional treatment but rather an exploration of mental health issues and the tools of recovery. In this episode, we're looking at social anxiety. My guest today is Ken, a freelance translator from Dublin. Thanks for joining us, Ken. How are you this evening? Uh, Not too bad. Just uh, trying to settle the nerves. (laughs) Good, good. No problem at all. We'll take it nice and easy. So we're sitting in a radio studio and you've got a microphone in front of you. As someone who has suffered with social anxiety, is that a weird thing for you to be here? Is How do you feel sitting in this studio talking about these things? Uh, I think it it is very weird. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of what uh, you, one would be inclined to do I with know. social anxiety. Yeah. That's why I was um, so delighted that you were willing to come in and talk. Yeah, um, it's definitely not something that I would have done in the past. Yeah. Um, I suppose uh, in the past when I my social anxiety was worse, it would have been the furthest thing I would have run away from. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's a testament to your progress, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it is. And it's just something that I feel really strongly about. Um, that it's affected my life a lot um, and that's kind of a big motivation for me to do something about it. Yeah. Because I feel there's a lot of people who don't even know that they have social anxiety, first of all, um, or that they can do anything about it. Um, But I now feel that I know that it is possible to do something about it and I suppose that's why I'm here. Um, Ken, just to start off, your social anxiety started for you when you were in school. Um, can you explain to me when you first realised that there might be a problem? Um, yeah, I don't think in the beginning it was something that I noticed. Like There wasn't one moment where I just noticed that it was a problem. I suppose when I started secondary school, I found that I was finding it more difficult to fit in. Um, in primary school, it a lot of socializing I suppose just revolved around uh, playground games and stuff like that uh, which I felt I was able for Um, I knew how that kind of system worked and then at the start of secondary school I just found it harder because um, the dynamic kind of changed I think I think a lot of people it's it's a it's kind of difficult time but um, I suppose I just found that um, people were having you know conversations in the schoolyard that I didn't feel capable of kind of contributing to as much. 
um, and I would spend more time by myself rather than hanging out with my friends after school, that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose I didn't, in the beginning, I didn't think of it as a problem. Um, it was just kind of later on that I realized that I was kind of missing out on a lot of the socializing that other people were doing. That was when, I suppose, towards the end of secondary school, that it was when I really felt that it kind of became a problem. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners um, who are wondering exactly what social anxiety is. Mm. I'm sure a lot of listeners also feel some level of anxiety in different social situations from time to time. But can you explain the difference between that and clinical social anxiety? Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit difficult because I think it's difficult to say that one person has it and one person doesn't. It's more of a sliding scale, I think. In general, yes, everyone does experience a certain amount of anxiety in social situations. It's a normal part of being human, I think. Um, some people, well, most people, it especially affects them in specific situations like giving a speech at a wedding or something. That's something that a lot of people will dread uh, and feel a lot of anxiety about. Um, I think that in terms of clinical social anxiety, it uh, the the difference is that it affects your life in a in a deeper way, and so the symptoms are stronger. It's more generalized, applies to more situations, um, and so I suppose that's 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 what the difference is. There was a particular night at a house party. Um, I think it was when you were in college. Yeah, yeah. When your social anxiety became so bad that you were in a state of despair about it. Can you describe your feelings on that evening? Um, yeah, uh, I suppose that particular evening was um, possible. Well, one of the low points of, of my social anxiety. Um, it was just at a time when I felt that I didn't know how to talk to people, didn't know how to you know just relate to people in any way. But at the same time, I still I went to this party because I wanted to be involved and I think that's like an important thing is that people with social anxiety they want to be more social they want to fit in but they just don't know how to um it's not that they are just you know introverted and just want to be by themselves it's normally that they're just not they they want to socialize more but it's just difficult so in some ways a person who has social anxiety could in fact be an extrovert oh yeah yeah Definitely. Uh, that's something, That's I think that's a really important um, thing to highlight because some people might presume that if someone has social anxiety that they are therefore a shy person, which is absolutely not the truth. Sure it's not. It's No, it's not. And a lot of the time people will be surprised by someone who has social anxiety in that they wouldn't think it. Um, and a lot of um, very extroverted people, but it really, you wouldn't know unless the person tells you. Because it's all in your mind. You gave me some of your diary extracts to read uh, before this interview. Um, and it was some of the extracts are from the time when your social anxiety was very bad. And I noticed that a word that keeps arising in them is the word awkward. There's a constant fear of a kind of an awkward situation arising. Can you explain that fear of the awkward? Uh, yeah, Um I suppose the fear with social anxiety is that uh, you will be in a social situation and won't know how to act or what to say, what to do, and that you will somehow be embarrassed. 
or humiliated um, and be negatively judged by others. Uh, can you, if you have a think for a moment, Ken, can you try and think of an example from a situation uh, where you were feeling this way? And can you try and take the listeners through that, a specific example? Uh, yeah, um, I suppose small talk is kind of a classic example. So say you're at that party where yeah. it was very bad and someone came over to you or you went over to someone and a social interaction is about to begin. What's going through your head? Uh, pretty much what's going through my head uh, is this person looks like they're going to talk to me and I'm not going to know what to say. Or maybe I'll say a few things, but then I won't know how to continue the conversation. Uh, and then we'll just be left there in an awkward silence. Okay. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Okay. Yeah. Now, thanks for setting that up. Now, what happens next with someone who has social anxiety and in your experience is that the person begins to use a number of safety behaviours, okay? Uh, first of all, what are safety behaviours? Uh, safety behaviours, as I understand them, are things that you do to try and avoid putting yourself in an anxious situation. Yeah. Or being humiliated. Or being humiliated, yeah. yeah. So what would the safety behaviours be that you would employ or would have employed in that situation? I suppose the first thing is usually eye contact. People with social anxiety generally are not good with eye contact. So you would kind of keep your eyes on the floor, anywhere but the other people. Yeah. Um, because that might cause them to notice you um, or start talking to you. Uh, so that would be the, the first thing that you do. And then I suppose keeping, say if you're involved in conversation then, would be keeping your answers short and not revealing too much about yourself because then you would risk saying something that would be negatively judged and just avoidance as well just trying to avoid being in any conversation or social situation are the big safety behaviors the safety behaviors okay and of course those safety behaviors have the end result of reinforcing the social anxiety absolutely they are the worst thing if you're trying if you're trying to deal with social anxiety it seems like they're protecting you uh, from a dangerous situation, but actually they're just reinforcing the idea that it is dangerous. So if you keep on going into those situations with that mindset, then you'll never have the opportunity to learn that it's not actually dangerous and that there's nothing so bad that can go wrong. Ken, when you left that house party that night, you made a resolution to yourself. That's right. Um, I suppose I was just... I felt that the night had gone so badly um, that I just had been just so quiet and not talked to anyone that everyone must just think I was worthless, basically. Um, so I decided that I didn't want to be involved with people anymore uh, because it just it seemed like there was no point. Was that a lonely feeling? Yeah, <laughs> Pretty lonely. Um, I suppose uh, it's just the, I mean, the loneliest thing that I could describe is because I felt that I, I still wanted, you know, to have a human connection, but it just wasn't available to me. 
since the beginning of time, people have been, you know, frightened and, and unhappy and they're scared of death and they're, they're scared of getting old. And there's always been priests around and shamans and now shrinks to tell them, look, I know you're frightened, but I can help you. <clears throat> of course, it is going to cost you a few bucks. A scene from 2003's Anything Else by Woody Allen there, which leads us into the whole area of getting better. Ken, it was just after you finished college um, that things began to really change for you, wasn't it? Yeah, um, the the biggest thing that happened um, that changed things was um, when I attended a, a group for uh, social anxiety. Uh, in Dublin, um, it was a fourteen-week uh, course, a, gr- a group course, uh, where we kind of learned different, um, well, the theory behind behind what social anxiety is. And uh, was that um, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral it, therapy? It was. It's kind of a mixture. It's not just one method. You kind of get an overview of uh, several different uh, methods of treating social anxiety. Um, CBT would have been a, a big part of it though. Where did that course take place? Uh, or who was who running that course? Um, the course is run by uh, an organisation uh, called Social Anxiety Ireland. Yeah. Um, and it's run by uh, Dr. Oren McCarthy. Um, and when I attended it, it was, um, what was in the, ma- the matter. Um, it was yeah. kind of run by them. Okay. Now, it was during this course that you had a sort of a eureka moment, so to speak. Can you explain what that moment of clarity was for you? Yeah, um, well, within uh, the co- uh, the course of the, the group, we each had to do a role play scenario where uh, there was about eight people in the group. And so each person would take it in turns to choose a situation that made them anxious and relive that situation in front of the rest of the group. Um, and the f- the first person that did that um, had, or seeing that role play had a, a big impact on me uh, because basically the first time uh, she went through it, she just did it normally, like how she would normally respond in that situation. And, you know, you could, you could tell that she was a bit anxious and uh, didn't come across as comfortable. And then the second time around, um, the instruction was to drop the safety behaviors while being in that situation. So I think, oh, I can't remember what the safety behaviors were for that, but I think it was just making more eye contact, um, not not fidgeting. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that might have actually been one. Um, and it was just amazing for me to see like the difference that that small change made in how they, that person came across. And it just kind of clarified things in my mind. Whereas beforehand I thought I needed to become like a completely different person change my personality in order to get over it, um, that kind of made me realise that it really doesn't take that much to make a big change. And you also realised that it was the safety behaviours that were actually having the effect of pushing people away. Uh, what was that about? Uh, yeah, um, well, after after I saw that role play, I remember we were just like, we had a little tea break after that and I just said to myself, okay, what is my safety behavior? I've seen what this person's safety behavior is. And I decided it was just like, often I'd, when I'd be in a situation, I might have something to say, but I'd, I wouldn't say it because I'd just be too afraid that it wasn't the right thing to say. Yeah. Um. And so at that tea break, I remember I'd, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to say what comes into my head and see what happens. Regardless of the outcome. Regardless of the outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, just as an experiment. Okay, and what was the result of that experiment? The result was uh, I got a good reaction. I mean, I'd probably made some comment on, oh, that role play looked really difficult. And then it just started a conversation. And then once the conversation was going, it was much easier to... And once you got some positive feedback, as in the person was interested in what I was saying, yeah, it just became much more relaxed and easier to... I imagine when you dip your toe into the pond, you can gain confidence quite quickly if you're willing to make the effort. Oh, definitely. The first step is always the hardest one. Um, Just a little bit of like positive feedback uh, can like give you a huge confidence boost. And that then motivated me to try that strategy of dropping that safety behavior of not talking in other situations. And it just kind of kind of went on a roll from there. So how did things change over the following months? Um, I just became much more confident um, in, in social, social situations. Uh, I would be the one to initiate conversations with people, initiate small talk where I would never have dreamed of saying anything before. And the more I did that, then the more I realized that I usually got a good response and so there wasn't a need to be worried about it. Just that first kind of burst of confidence was what got me to push my boundaries, which had been very limited before, and kind of open myself up to having good experiences. It seems to me that the way in which we perceive the comments of others or the, even the tone of the way our interlocutor, so to speak, the way they speak, um, depending on how sensitive we are, the way we interpret those things is very important because does someone with social anxiety tend to spend a lot of time analysing those sort of things? Yeah, you do a, a post-mortem on every little interaction that you have. It doesn't even have to involve saying things. Just is that helpful look. or is that something to be avoided? Oh God, no, it's it's the worst. Like, Because that's what basically someone with social anxiety can be in the same situation, have the same interaction, but look at it in a completely different way with from someone who doesn't have it. Um, so whereas someone else would just think, oh, maybe the other person wasn't in a good mood or or maybe there was nothing wrong at all. Um, a person with social anxiety will think that they've made mistakes, that the other person must think they didn't say enough or didn't say the right thing. So what techniques should the person who's recovering from social anxiety employ in that moment to stop that analysis? I think the first thing for me is to just notice or to catch the negative thought that's occurring. Um, So say, for example, if you've just had a short conversation with someone and you're thinking, oh, I I shouldn't have said this or that. First of all, just to notice that you're thinking that and then to kind of look at that thought and and like think, think to yourself, is it actually... Is that a fair thing to to say to myself? Like, was it really that bad? Did they really react very badly to that? Or was it just a normal... How long is it now since you did that course? Uh, it would be about a year and a half. Okay, so you're 25 now. So yep. you did it when you were 23. Yep. Um, how are you at the moment uh, with your social anxiety? Where are we at the moment? Um, a much better place now. Um, immediately after I did the course, uh, I felt I got much better. 
Um, I had a, a kind of good period. Um, I went back to college and enjoyed that experience. Um, I suppose that I had a bit of a relapse then afterwards or a setback, um, which is pretty normal, where I felt that the confidence that I gained was kind of, I felt like I was losing it. And then even just recently, since a couple of weeks ago, it's gotten much better again. And again, it was just the, what started was that same idea of just if I have something to say, just say it. Just don't think about it. Just just do it. I got a bit of a, a boost in confidence and I've just been kind of trying to push myself further, in a but in a controlled way. Like obviously I wouldn't go and do the most like anxiety provoking thing first. It's always like a gradual thing. Mm, graded kind of exposure. Yep. Okay, it's time for this. This is what I believe to be true. This is what I learned in the hospital. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. In this part of the podcast, we look at movies, books, music, sports, and other interests which can cast a light on the difficulties of mental health issues or indeed offer some respite during difficult times. Ken, you find writing down your experiences and thoughts that that helps you a lot. Why do you think that is? It's something that I did a lot uh, when the anxiety was worse or at its worst, uh, just to kind of get get it out of my head, kind of. Um, and also because at those times I felt that I didn't really have someone that I could tell about it, because um, it's not easy to um, to talk, to open up to people if you haven't done it before. Um, so it was just kind of a relief to get it out on the page. And then when things got better, I found it helpful to write down what I was doing differently and how I felt because it could be like the way I would feel at those times would be so different from when it was worse that I would forget, like if I was in a bad way, I would forget how it felt when I was better. And so I would... It was a believe. good record in that way. A good record in that way, just to remember that I had been able to overcome it before and that I could do it again if I if I tried. Um, um, there's a film uh, that you were telling me about before, a French film, which I've seen, Amelie. Yeah. I think it came out probably around 99, 2000, something yeah, around then. I think it was early 2000s. Early maybe. 2000s. Um, but the central character, uh, if the listeners can cast their minds back, I think is played by Audrey Tatou. Yeah. Um, beautiful French actress but you were telling me that that character gives um, an understanding of someone with social anxiety yeah I think so um, to a certain extent I think it's difficult to portray social anxiety on film it's just not something that because it's so internal it's not something that really translate well, translates well in general but uh, in that film Emily does um, I suppose she's portrayed as a very shy character um she doesn't talk much um she kind of has quite a solitary life solitary activities um but again you you do get the feeling that she wants to be more involved in the social world for example there's one moment where so there's a moment where she finds uh, a box in her bathroom i think that was left there by a previous occupant of her flat and so she her mission is to return it to this guy who owned the box um, and so she tracks him down and gives it back to him and then sees his reaction to finding this like treasure from his past. 
and she decides that if she has a good impact on this guy, uh, that she's going to make an effort to uh, influence the lives of others in a positive way. Uh, and so he, he, she sees him reacting and he's like kind of overcome with emotion and uh, nostalgic and really appreciative of it. So then after that, she does various things like um, there's one scene where she sees um, a, a blind man walking down the street and she goes up and kind of walks along with him and describes everything that's going on in the street in visual detail. Um, and she tries to do to match make um, in the cafe where she works with uh, two of the people who are, who are there. Um, so she, she does, it's clear that she does want to be involved in people's lives, but that she's just kind of held back by her inhibitions. And then it comes, it's the same in the case of her own life, because she meets this man that she's kind of attracted to on a couple of occasions. And she kind of conducts this elaborate scheme where they're going to meet at various locations. It's all very mysterious. But every time uh, they're about to meet, she kind of gets a surge of anxiety, I suppose. She holds back. And uh, just has to avoid the situation. Um, um, of course, Amelie um, has a beautiful soundtrack by Jan Tiersen. Let's have a little listen. Tell me about your passion for karaoke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, You've got a mic in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> uh, well, it's something that I found out a few years ago. Um, I'd never tried it before. The first time I was really anxious. Like most people, it's a very anxiety-provoking situation. Yeah, definitely. You don't need social anxiety to be no, afraid of that. No. Um, but you found it helpful. I found it helpful because... Tell me why. Because uh, it was a social activity, but didn't involve talking. I felt like talking was not my strong suit. Um, but I realized that I could sing <laughs> reasonably well. Um, so it was something that I could do with other people, an enjoyable activity. And I felt like uh, it let me come out of my shell a bit um, because... You know, when you're there singing your heart out to some Celine Dion song, like it kind of breaks the yeah, the barriers yeah. uh, and it's revealing something vulnerable about sure, yourself. I it suppose. felt quite liberating. Yeah, yeah, very liberating. Um, what song did you like to sing? Oh, there's a, there's a lot. <laughs> Give me an example of one. Uh, Against All Odds by Phil Collins. Ah, it's, yes. It's interesting you say that because I have the lyrics here. Oh, really? No. <laughs> 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 oh, no, that dear. did scare me <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry It's time for Mental Wealth Recommends In the final part of the podcast We look at things which may help people who are dealing With a condition similar to Ken's social anxiety Which he's speaking about today Are there any books on social anxiety That you would recommend, Ken? Yeah, there are a f- 
a few good ones. Uh, one that I'd recommend in particular that I've been reading recently is um, it's called Overcoming Social Anxiety by Dr. Thomas Richards. Um, and it's great because it gives it's uh, it's a pretty big book and it has um, it has a lot of things in it. It's it's CBT based, um, but it's broken down into individual. They're called handouts, so you can just kind of uh, to a certain extent dip in and out of it and take what you find most helpful. And so it gives a lot of, first of all, background on what's going on when you get anxious, what's going on in your, cognitively speaking, um, in your brain. Um, and then it kind of transitions from that cognitive side to behavioral side, how you can act better. Well, sorry, that's not a good way to put it, but how you can... Um, Deal with the situation. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in a more great. rational way. So that's um, Overcoming Social Anxiety. So that's recommended um, if you're looking for a book on the topic. Yes, uh, Social Anxiety Ireland are the organisation which ran the the group uh, that you did. Yep. Um, tell me about that. You wanted to mention something about it. Yeah, um, at the moment they're in the process of um, registering as a charity. Before it was run as part of uh, the matter, but it's changed now, so... They are uh, in need of funding, though, um, because uh, there's so, such high demand for the course itself. There's like a, a waiting list of a year and a half in some cases. Wow, really? Yeah. So there's a massive demand across the country for this. There is a massive demand and people will travel from every corner of the country as well because there's only one thing and it's in Dublin. Um, so basically, uh, uh, I suppose, yeah, they are looking to register as a charity and uh, I think you can donate on, on the Social Anxiety Ireland website as well. That's www.socialanxietyireland.com. Yep. I should also mention an organisation called Step Out Ireland. Are you familiar with them, Ken? Uh, no. No? So Step Out Ireland provide opportunities for social interaction and inclusiveness for people suffering from social anxiety. Um, I was in touch with them the other day. They have a website, www.stepoutireland.com. Great. Ken, thanks so much for joining us on Mental Wealth. Uh, This is the sixth and final episode in the current series of Mental Wealth. Hopefully we'll be back for another series in the new year. Thanks for listening, um, listeners, uh, and for indeed downloading previous uh, podcasts of the series, which are all available on Newstalk.com. If you'd like to comment on this episode of Mental Wealth, or if you would like to share your experience of mental ill health, or indeed recovery, you can email me, simon.tierney at Newstalk.com. Or you can contact us on Twitter, and uh, the Newstalk Twitter handle is at Newstalk FM. 